And thank you for listening to today's episode of JTCast, the official podcast of the Journal of Athletic Training. I'm your host, Luke Donovan. This month, we'll discuss two articles over two short episodes from the recent issue of the Journal of Athletic Training. The first episode will report the findings of a study that examined the lower extremity movement quality and the internal training loading response of male soccer athletes over multiple seasons. For the second episode, we will explore the findings of a study that aimed to optimize the Nordic hamstring exercise by evaluating the effects of interset rest on force production. As a reminder, the article discussed today can be found on the JAT website, natajournals.org. And please remember that all content from JAT is open access to all readers, thanks to the funding from the National Athletic Trainers Association. The title of the first article is Lower Extremity Movement Quality in the Internal Training Load Response of Male Collegiate Soccer Athletes, authored by Tara Condon and colleagues from the New York City Football Club, Western Carolina University, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and the Utah Jazz Basketball Club. Let's survey the scene. Playing soccer is associated with a relatively high injury risk across all competition levels. As such, identifying risk factors in effective injury prevention programs continues to be an important role of athletic trainers and other sports medicine professionals who work with soccer athletes. Training load has been a metric that has a growing amount of literature supporting its association with injury risk, where both absolute training load and relative training load have been linked to injury. An absolute training load can be defined as the amount of work experience during a given event. A study of professional rugby players found that absolute training loads were associated with an increased risk of soft tissue injury. Relative internal training loads, also commonly referred to as acute chronic workload ratio, describes the individual's most recent workload relative to the workload over the past several weeks. Studies show the injury risk is increased when this ratio exceeds 1.5. Given the relationship between training load and injury risk, tracking training loads across seasons may provide clinicians additional insight to when athletes may be at the greatest risk of injury from a training perspective. Thus, clinicians can implement prevention strategies accordingly. However, limited studies have reported week-to-week data over multiple seasons. In addition to training load, other factors such as movement quality have been shown to be associated with injury risk. Specific to soccer, poor performance on the landing air scoring system, also known as the LESS, is associated with an increased risk of injury. It is hypothesized that the increased risk of injury among athletes with poor movement quality stems from them experiencing greater mechanical stresses during training and competition. These greater mechanical stresses may in turn result in greater perceived exertion and a higher internal training load. However, to date, researchers have not determined whether movement quality moderates or affects the strength and direction of the training load response during a sports season. Therefore, the purposes of the study were to first determine how absolute relative and internal training loads change during a men's NCAA Division I soccer season, and to second, determine whether movement quality assessed using the less moderated the relative internal training load during a competitive season. The authors hypothesized that the absolute and relative internal training loads would vary during a soccer season. Furthermore, the authors hypothesized that the athletes who demonstrated poor movement quality would have a higher risk of experiencing a relative internal training load spike during the season. 
The investigators recruited one NCAA Division I male soccer team to participate in the study for two consecutive competitive seasons. A total of 32 athletes considered to participate, where 20 of those athletes participated across both seasons, which then resulted in 52 participant data points. Internal training load was measured within 30 minutes of a given training or game session using the modified Borg Rating of Perceived Exertion Scale, also known as the RPE. Following each session, the athletic trainer would show each participant the scale and ask, how did you feel today's training session was from start to finish? The participant would then provide a number between 1 and 10, where a 1 represented resting while a 10 represented maximal effort. In addition to the session RPE, the duration of the training or game session for each participant was recorded. Days when no official team organized training or competition took place, both the RPE and training duration were recorded as being zero. The authors multiplied each session RPE by the corresponding session duration to calculate the daily internal training load. Using these values, the authors then could calculate each participant's weekly absolute internal training load by summing the daily training load over a seven-day period. The weekly absolute internal training load data were then used to calculate a relative training load. Relative tra internal training load was the ratio between a participant's most recent weekly absolute internal training load, or acute load, and the average weekly absolute training load over the past four weeks, or chronic load. The LESS 17 was used to assess participant movement quality at the beginning of each competitive season, before the first day of practice. The LESS requires participants to jump from a 30-centimeter box to a target that is half their height away from the box, followed by an immediate maximal vertical height jump. There is a 17-item scoring system that quantifies the movement pattern displayed during the first landing from the 30-centimeter box. Higher LESS scores represent more movement errors, thus indicate poorer movement quality. LESS trials were recorded by a Kinect sensor and were automatically scored by a software program, excluding the item pertaining to overall impression of the task, which was then scored by the investigator. Using the LESS score, participants were divided into one of two movement quality groups. Individuals with a score less than or equal to 4 were placed in the good movement group. All other participants were assigned to the poor movement group. Here are the results. 62% of participants sustained some level of lower back or lower extremity injury during the two seasons. The authors excluded six participants from the further analysis due to these participants missing six or more weeks of time during the season. Of the remaining participants, 29 were considered poor movers while 17 were considered good movers. Within both groups, 58% sustained an injury. Across all participants, the absolute and relative internal training loads differed across weeks of the season. In addition, movement quality did not moderate the relative training load. The findings of this study partially support the author's original hypothesis, as they did observe absolute and relative internal training loads to differ across weeks. However, movement quality, quantified by using the LESS 17, did not affect relative training load in this cohort of Division I male soccer players.
The authors acknowledged that caution should be taken when comparing internal training load values across studies, as some previous papers did not explicitly state the formula used to quantify their reported values. However, it does appear that the findings of this study were similar to other studies of collegiate-level soccer participants. On the contrary, when compared to professional soccer athletes, this study found much higher week one absolute internal training loads. In fact, the studies of professional soccer players found that individuals with a one-week absolute training load greater than 1,500 arbitrary units during preseason were at a higher risk of injury. For reference, this current study of collegiate soccer athletes found that 100% of the participants exceeded this threshold. Although injury patterns were beyond the scope of the study, the high loads may explain why 58% of both good and poor movers sustained injuries during the study period. In addition, collegiate soccer seasons are about half as long as professional seasons. Therefore, a greater emphasis may be placed on early fitness among collegiate soccer players. Specific to movement quality, the inability of movement quality, as assessed by way of the less, to moderate internal training load may be due to the jump landing task not being sensitive enough to soccer-specific movements. In addition, the similarity of load and short season duration among collegiate athletes may restrict the ability of movement quality to affect internal training loads. Finally, it is also possible that movement quality changes over a given season. Therefore, screening participants only at the beginning of the season may not represent the movement quality at a later date. In summary, although movement quality did not moderate the training load in this cohort of collegiate soccer players, both data points are still valuable for coaches and sports medicine personnel. Future studies should expand the participant population to confirm the results of the study, as well as explore other factors that could be related to internal training load and injury risk. Well, that's it for today's JTCast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast, which is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Stitcher. You can find out more information about upcoming podcasts and other JAT events on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts at JAT underscore NATA. Thank you for listening and keep a lookout for our next JATCast episode.